Welcome to episode one of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... Uh, this is Keith Isles. We're two film directors, um, and we're going to talk about um, other directors' work. We've both picked a film we like of a certain director, and we've picked a film we hate, and we're both going to talk about them. Absolutely. I mean, hate hate is kind of a strong word, but but maybe one that I don't think is so good as as the other. <laughs> okay, dislike then, because uh, there there'll be certain directors where uh, we're fans of. I know I know I've been thinking about the directors that we're going to talk about, and I think there, there's some. It's like well, it, I, I like the majority of their work, so it's going to be have to like the least liked or. You know, but that that's what well, we'll try and pick directors where, um, you know, we, well, there is stuff we like and there's stuff we hate. So and there's so many directors out there. So, well, this is true. This is true. <laughs> uh, I have to say, I, I kind of chuckling at our uh, our first choice. You know, when, when you think that you've got the likes of robert altman or pedro armadova or even paul thomas anderson and who have we picked <laughs> we picked paul ws anderson <laughs> and this I, is I where was... people switch off <laughs> <laughs> well that that that's who the director we're going to talk about but um well, we'll tell you why we picked him is because uh we're going to go through directors alphabetically so uh, each episode, we're gonna have, uh, we're gonna go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and as soon as we reach the end, we'll then, um, we'll start all over again. So we're not gonna go through all the A's, all the B's, all the C's. We're just gonna, you know, just go A, B, C, D. Otherwise, I know there's there's a lot of A's. Well, I've given us another three A's there, just off the top of my head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Paul W. S. Anderson. Um, Paul W.S. Anderson is considered to be a bit of a shitemeister. Um, he's, he, his work is um, not held up in high regard, but yet the man is still out there making films. I mean, uh, his last film, Pompeii, came out uh, last year, and it was a um, sword and sandal meets, um, you know, disaster film, which I never saw. I saw it. Oh, you yeah. saw it? Yeah. How was it? It was, it was, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll get round to this as we continue to discuss the director, but it was just okay. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't God awful, but it wasn't uh, anything memorable either. <laughs> I just seem to remember that it was, it was, it was fun to see Kiefer Sutherland you know, playing someone else other than Jack Bauer. But, uh, <laughs> it was kind of Jack Bauer and a toga with a British accent, but it was, you know. <laughs> well, Kiefer Sutherland just seems to play Jack Bauer now, whatever he does. Hey, um, I saw I that film him. Mirrors, where it was, uh, the first half was amazing. It was full attention. It was scary. And in the second half, and this is a spoiler, he goes looking for the source of the evil and uh, he goes to this, uh, I think it was a nunnery or something, and finds this nun, and he's pointing a gun at her, and it's like Jack Bauer. And it gets even crazier, where he's, he, you know, when she gets possessed, he's punching her. I mean, it was Jack Bauer, nun puncher. It was brilliant, <laughs> but it was terrible at the same time. So. Oh, 
Got to love a bit of Jack Bauer, though, always, you know. <laughs> In, indeed. And uh, Kiefer Sutherland, he loves Jack Bauer. Mm. But um, I, I have to ask you, have you heard of this term, uh, vulgar auto... Um, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, yes, you've heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, could, actually, could, you, um, could you say it for the audience? Because I didn't quite get it out. Yeah, I think it's uh, like vulgar autism or something. It's, That's um, it, yes. It, it, it's, it was introduced to me by um, actually one of our mutual friends, Clive. And uh, Same here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think it's quite an interesting concept, actually. <laughs> It's, it is because uh, they're sort of reevaluating directors who uh, whose work is considered to be schlock or terrible or rubbish, and sort of saying, "Well, actually, they're pretty good." Now, I'm a child. I mean, I grew up through the eighties and nineties, so I was always a big fan of action films, and you know. By God, did I watch a lot of bad ones because you go down to the video shop and if Under Siege was out, you'd have to try and find something else that was similar. And there was always more films that were similar to Under Siege. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, um, I think uh, when you interviewed me a few years back, I, I, I sort of used the term that uh, I was a child of the home video era. And, uh, you, you know, very much um, absolutely grew up on... Uh, you know, my, my dad used to rent uh, quite a lot of B-movies uh, that went straight to VHS. Oh, my God, you know, ancient now, but VHS. And, uh, yeah, it was always a uh, a, a great source of, of entertainment growing up. And uh, as a result, I was always ended up as a fan of the sort of action-adventure, sci-fi, horror, thriller genres and um you know, I, I'm still a big fan of those sort of things to this day, in fact. Well, I, from looking at uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's work, I think he's also, yeah, I think he's a similar age as us. Not saying what our age are, but I think you can guess. He's a little <laughs> older, yeah. I mean, he was, yeah. he was actually, um, got a bit geek here, but he was, he was born in 1965 in Newcastle. So oh, he's he's a little oh, bit, older, bit older, but yes, um, he is, yeah. but 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 you know the the, the man is uh, you, you know the man clearly um, has similar influences. I think um, you know hey you know if something's if if something's up to a decade difference, it, you know it, it's usually still still similar sources of inspiration, and um, uh, you know. I said to someone the other day, I mentioned I was going to be doing this and they kind of uh, laughed at me a little bit. And I said, look, um, I kind of look at it this way. You know, whilst I've been pursuing the dream for the last, you know, 15, 16 years or whatever it is now, uh, poor W.S. Anderson's been living it for the last 20 you know, <laughs> well, this is the thing. His his first film was shopping back in 94. And I, I don't know. Do you do you remember the amount of press that film got when it came out? Because I remember it. I remember yeah. it was like they were saying Hollywood had come to Britain. Um, he he was considered to be a young guy who'd made a Hollywood type film about um, oh what do they call it? Tri driving vehicles into shop fronts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's it? What's, uh, it, what's it called? Oh. Um... 
I don't know, driving vehicles into shop fronts? I no, there was, there, was a, there was a tabloid term for it. Oh, God, you're going to make me uh, look that up now, aren't you? <laughs> well, <laughs> talk amongst yourselves now. Um, uh, no, I mean, absolutely. I, I remember the... Annoyingly, somebody asked me the other day if I'd seen the film, and I think the answer to that is yes, but I think the thing was it was so long ago it was probably actually when it came out so we're talking you know 20 years ago now and That's um right. I, i've not, i've certainly not seen it since and i have very little recollection of it apart from the fact that you know they got people like jude law and sadie frost and whatever um you know and started sean pertwee sean pertwee absolutely <laughs> yeah. jason isaacs you know all there which which are you know are obviously constant collaborators with um with yes. Paul, uh, I'm just yeah. trying to find it out. I'm just looking on. Uh, uh, it's ram raiding. Ram raiding. Okay, ram fair raiding. enough. There we but, go. I, um, I, I looked it up while you were talking. Good for you. Um, uh, so, so yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I remember it. Um, in terms of, I remember the, like you said, the hype around it, etc. I don't actually remember the film, and if I'd had more time prepping for this, I'd have liked to have sort of maybe gone back and and visited, um, you know, revisited some of these films. But, you, you know, there are still quite a few of his films I haven't seen. I haven't seen Mortal Kombat, which uh, right. I know was his sort of first, uh, you, you know, big film following shopping. That's um, correct. I was kind of, you know, I was never really, I was sort of put off by some of the earlier video game films you know a la street fighter and whatever so um <laughs> as a result i didn't actually bother with it but i've actually been told that it's it's pretty good but yeah I, not it's seen one it. of the better video game adaptations but then that's damning with fan uh, fan uh, damning with faint praise because uh it's still it's it's a it's, a, it's an enjoyable film but it's not it's not great and okay yeah, it's you know it's 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 one of those films you come back from the pub you stick it on you have a great it's it's good fun, and you know it's got that um, that theme tune you know Mortal Kombat you know <laughs> very nineties but I think that is the one thing most people remember about the film. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think actually on that point and and the point you were sort of making when you were talking about this uh, sort of. Um, wave of of schlock cinema or whatever that's 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 kind of getting um getting some some recognition now i i think i think the key is you know maybe maybe these films and these particular directors and these particular genres of films you know they're not necessarily critically acclaimed and they're not necessarily going to go out and win you know baftas and oscars and golden globes and things of that nature but at the end of the day um you know, those things, they are usually uh, aimed at films that are either, well, look at this year, it's all about biopics, etc. Or, you know, let's be honest, films that have a message or maybe take you on a some sort of long mental journey or whatever. But there are also films out there that are just purely fun popcorn entertainment. And you know what? That's OK, too. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to be. Not everything has to be a masterpiece and not everything has to be a, necessarily a work of art in the way that, that you know, certain uh, institutions class them as. So, you know, I, I'm, 
I, I like all movies, to be fair. And, uh, you know, as, as you know, I'm, I'm a BAFTA person and I vote and I do all of that stuff. But, you know, you know it doesn't mean that I think all of that is good and everything else is, is shit. Um, I, I'm, I'm well, you know, rooted in, in what inspired me as a child. And, you know, growing up, as I said, it was those B-movie, uh, you know, videos that you could get. It was also you know, recycled 70s TV series, um, you know, from the US that were shown, you know, in the UK. And, and I loved all that stuff. I mean, you know, Glenn A. Larson was one of my heroes as a child, you know, so... Of course. So I, mean, I, I don't see anything Galactica. wrong with that. Absolutely, Star, I love it. Yeah. I love it, so... I mean, it's it's brilliant stuff. But mm. I mean, no, I, I've never looked down. I mean, if anything, I didn't sort of discover the classics until I started pursuing um directing as a career as I, I got into the film industry so i was sort of introduced to a lot of films i hadn't seen before that would that are considered classics um but my education my you know being brought up it was with like popcorn films i mean yeah i've seen when i was a kid i saw ghostbusters over a hundred times one summer i mean i wore out the, t the vhs tape i had it on <laughs> yeah no absolutely you know? i mean i feel like we've probably got quite a uh, a similar upbringing which is probably one of the reasons why we get on so well now <laughs> well i mean i, I we're, we're not going to be revealing anything you you probably don't know about paul ws anderson um uh, he's made films for the last 20 years he was a british director who uh went over to america and he's been working solidly i mean over the last almost 20 years, he's got uh, 15 directing credits, and that's including uh, the film that he's currently working on, which is Resident Evil, the final chapter. Yeah, and that's not to mention that, uh, you know, those are directing credits, but he's, he's actually written and produced a whole wealth of stuff. I mean, some of them relate into series of films that have, you know, since come out, like the aforementioned Resident Evil there, etc. And, uh, you, you, you know, yeah, he, he went to the University of Warwickshire uh, and got a BA in, in film and literature. And, uh, you know, he... he I, to my knowledge, he isn't related to anyone in the industry. It didn't seem like he came from a particularly privileged background or anything. So um, absolutely, you know, despite what people may say about some of his films and despite what I may say about some of the things during the, the course of this, the bottom line is my hat's absolutely off to the man. I mean, he's out there, he's doing it, he's making films, he's earning money, he's living the dream. He's married to Mila Jolovich. Uh, he I mean, is. He's, he's got it all sorted, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> hasn't he? You know? <laughs> so so uh, good on him, I say. And uh, and he makes the films he likes, you know. So, Keith, are you saying that you want to be Paul W.S. Anderson? Indeed, yes. I, I want to be Paul W.S. Anderson. No, no, of course not. But at the same time, you know, I am saying that, uh, you, you know... Um, you know, it's easy for people to sort of start slagging him off, I guess, yeah. with stuff. But I say, well, you know, he's he's out there doing it. So good on the man. And and I have to say, um, I have and it was all quite recent, actually. I, I've, I've actually had a little bit of a Paul W.S. Anderson marathon uh, with some of his films. But often um, 
you know, I'm a bit of a geek and I, I tend to be that one of those few people that, you know, you know, the normal people out there listening, if there are any, they probably say, you know, who listens to audio commentaries? Why do they even bother putting those on DVDs and Blu-rays? Well, I, I'm the saddo that does. And um, I have to say, uh, from a filmmaker's point of view, uh, the, the, the commentaries that Paul W.S. Anderson and uh, Jeremy Bolt, his producing partner, do are always uh, very informative and entertaining. And, you know, there's no doubt about it. The man knows his craft and he knows his genre very well. And he speaks very intelligently about the things that he does um, in those commentaries. So, uh, so yeah, good on him. It's just a shame now that um, it's director's commentaries are, are becoming less and less so on DVDs and Blu-rays. It's, you know, it's a real sod. Yeah, I don't know why that is. I have no I, idea. I don't know. I have no idea. It's. I think it's just because the, the cost... Well, I think I do know what it is, is the fact that uh, streaming is now taking over. Most people will watch stuff on Netflix or Amazon Prime. And they just, you know, they, they, they're mass-consuming stuff. So when you go out and you buy a DVD, you buy the film and you want the case with the cover and the poster on it and, you know, and you want the extras. But when you're watching stuff online, you just watch the film and that's it. No, it's true. I mean, definitely, you know, Blu-ray and DVD is the collector's medium, uh, a bit like, you know, books or, or, or vinyl or CD are for music and, and literature. But, um, but yeah, there is obviously, you know, downloads and, uh, on demand and, and things like that are the mass consumer way of doing it now via technology. So yeah, yeah, no, I, I can see that point. Absolutely. Okay. So enough about the man, let's talk about, uh, the films we've picked now, both me and Keith have picked a film that we like and one that we don't like because it seems hate is too, too bad a word, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there might, there's going to be some hate coming. I'm going to warn you. Hate is coming. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. But, I, but Keith, um, what is your pick for movie heaven? Right. Uh, well, God, you see, where I say hate might be a strong word, right? I think movie heaven is a bit of a um, overstatement, also. But <laughs> but hey, uh, well, uh, movie uh, like movie yeah, yeah, dislike yeah, does yeah, not no, sound I'm, the I'm, same, does it? <laughs> no, indeed. Uh, I mean, the one I picked that um, I hadn't watched until recently, in fact, but. Uh, uh, I actually enjoyed and, and one could say I was almost pleasantly surprised by actually was was um, his film Death Race, which was it was actually made in 2008. As I said, I only only saw it at the beginning of this year. Um, uh, obviously, a well, a remake, a prequel, a reimagining, whatever you want to call it, of the uh, classic uh, Roger Corman film from the uh, early 70s. Uh, which was called Death Race 2000. But yeah, I, I actually, uh, you know, to me, this film was kind of Fast and Furious meets The Running Man with, uh, you know, traps from Saw or whatever. It was kind of that <laughs> combination. So I sort of thought to myself, well, what's not to like? Um, you know, you had you had cars, you had hot women, you had loads of action, Um you know, it was a guy's film. Let's just put it that way. Um, but I actually 
I actually did find it quite entertaining, I have to say. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the one I picked as the one that I um, that I enjoyed. Yes, that I liked. Well, um, I saw Death Race at uh, Fright Fest. It was the closing film of, I think, of 2008, because I think Death Race came out uh, sort of nearer Christmas that way. And I had a blast. I mean, mm. Fright Fest for those kind of films, best audience to watch a film like that. It was, it was great. So enjoyable. Yeah, I can imagine it going down a who, having been to the last couple of Fright Fests, and I'm not a veteran like you are for that, but <laughs> um, I, I can imagine that it, the, the atmosphere uh, to watch this kind of film, it must have been an absolute hoot. So, yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> oh, it was, it was brilliant, but. Um, the thing, I, do you remember, um, a friend of mine told me this story. I think it might have been Jason Finn. If I'm, if I'm wrong, sorry, Jason, it might have been somebody else. But, um, when he, um, he was talking about remakes and he was talking about how, why is it that people remake good films? Why don't they remake bad films <laughs> like Death Race 2000? And the audience booed him. Yeah. Because in a lot of people's eyes, Death Race 2000 is a good film. It's it's kind of, um, you, you know, it, it, it's one of those, it, it is one of those Roger Corman classics, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I remember it being, you know, kind of, it was always banned for so for, for such a long time as being, you know, maybe not quite a video nasty or, or but, but certainly... Um, you know, heavily censored because of the violence in it and things of that nature. And, uh, yeah, I mean, um, what, what I liked about, I mean, you know, death race, Anderson's death race was a slightly different, um, take on it. Uh, he actually views it. He said on the commentary, he views it as a prequel to death race 2000 taking place, you know, some sort of 15, 20 years prior to the events in death race 2000 which what people could argue because i mean this film was supposed to be set in uh well i saw i only saw it this year so it was already old hat it was supposed to be set in 2012 or something which was the, <laughs> the future when it was made <laughs> but yeah. uh and you know people say well death race 2000 is supposed to be set in the year 2000 right but <laughs> but one could argue that death race 2000 means it's the 2000th race so, you know, if you look at it that way, it could well have taken place 10 or 15 years before the events of this one. So oh, that's, that's a fan possibly, answer. Yeah. That's me being a total yeah. nerd. Um, <laughs> but, but, but basically, it, it, it's well made. It's very well, um, you know, the, the stunts and the action sequences. And this is one of the things uh, I've noticed as a trend, having listened to a few Paul W.S. Anderson commentaries, is... He is a very old school filmmaker still, um, meaning, you know, his films could all be done in in a computer in CGI and be done with it. All right. But he, he uses CGI as a tool uh, to enhance things. But he tries to do as much of his films in camera as he possibly can. So they're very stunt and special effect laden films um and that seems to be a you know a trend of his if you look across his body of work so far and, and you know they're, they're they're very well made i mean they've they, they obviously clearly have 
decent budgets and he, he has large crews and whatever. But, but you know, by the most part, they're actually quite well put together. The other thing is, you know, uh, he does work with some fine actors, um, you, you know, in some of his uh, films. Uh, I mean, he, obviously, he's got his old favourites like, you know, Sean Pertwee and um, uh, Jason Isaacs uh, that, that sort of crop up a lot. But, you know, he's worked with Sam Neill, Lawrence Fishburne, and, and, in, and in Death Race, uh, Joan Allen was in it, who's absolutely hey. amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you're forgetting somebody. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure you're I forget, am. You're forgetting the Stafe. And oh, the Stafe. Well, I mean... Jason Stafen's in it, right? Well, you know, um, <laughs> I, I haven't... I mean, I'll be honest. When, when Death Race first came out, I probably thought to myself, oh, remake of Death Race 2000 starring Jason Statham directed by Paul Anderson. Nah. To be fair, um, I, I, pro- I don't quite have the, uh, the, the, the the man crush on on Statham that that a lot of uh, people I know do. However, you know, again, good on him. He he is leading the career now that the the likes of you know Stallone and and uh, you know Chuck Norris or whatever seem to do back in in the in the sort of eighties and nineties and whatever. And um, you know, good on him. He he he, not, he churns out these action flicks, and he's in fantastic shape. Um, and you, you kind of know what you're going to get. And 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 yeah, I don't I don't have an issue with him. I I, I haven't seen all of his films, but um, you, you you know, the ones I've seen are good. And and yeah, he held his own in Death Race. He was he was the star of the film, and uh, yeah, he was fine. He was good. So so yes, absolutely, it was. Uh, it was uh, a good performance and uh, a fun film, really. You know, it was fun. <laughs> no, it's, it made it's, me it's, laugh. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, <laughs> and it's um, the the races are quite tense, and they're really well done, and there's some great comic moments in it. And uh, you know, some of the deaths are, are really great. I mean, there's actual deaths in it, and um, it's just yeah, I was a is a good fun flick, and I think that's the thing with. Paul W. S. Anderson generally is that you you watch a lot of his films and you don't think much of them and oh, and then suddenly he'll do one which is really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean this this was good. Um, it actually, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I I got uh, very cheap actually. I got off of Amazon for about seven quid. Uh, the Death Race trilogy on Blu-ray, absolutely oh, okay. loaded with extras, <laughs> and there were there were two. Um, prequel sequel films that went they were sort of straight to dvd or um films uh that followed that anderson produced and wrote even though he didn't direct them and, yeah. and you know they're, they're both both starring luke goss yes they've got luke goss as a sort of uh, <laughs> precursor to the jason statham character and now, um can, can i ask does he because at the beginning of uh death race yeah the this, this is a spoiler for you. I was going to say, are, are we are we doing spoilers? Are we? Okay. Um, I think we can do spoilers. I mean, the film has been out now for quite, you know, for seven years. Yeah, we're talking two thousand eight. So yeah, seven years. So God, <laughs> time flies. That's scary, but yeah. Uh... Right at the beginning, there is uh, a character called Frankenstein. That's correct. Who does the first race? Now, in these 
prequel sequels is uh luke goss's character playing that character yes he is okay basically i mean what what they did with 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 anderson's film at the beginning um they had it voiced by david carradine as kind of a you know a homage to the fact that carradine played the frankenstein character in the corman film that's right and uh the character that luke goss plays in the two um prequels uh does eventually well, he and there's another cat. There are actually there are actually two Frankenstein's, but this is where we really do get into major plot and spoilers, right? Yeah. Um. But 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 essentially, yes. Uh. It, when you watch them, it's quite weird. When you watch them, they do actually because because I'm a big I, I I'm a well really sad, but I'm a big stickler for content within universe continuity if that makes sense and and timelines and things like that are really important to me and if people get them wrong i'm really distracted by that uh but this actually surprisingly works it does work it does make sense and uh, and i feel that um you know i might be giving him credit where it's not due here but i feel that possibly anderson is a big part of that because he he had input uh, both in sort of pre-production and post-production into both of those films, uh, as well as the, the film that he made, and they do feel sort of six succinct and uh, and and of one universe. So um, yeah, again, hats off to him on that because because that all worked rather well. Um, it, you know, I mean, it's fair to say that the two prequel sequel things aren't as good i mean they didn't they clearly didn't have the budget and the resources that they had for the uh the first, first death one, race yeah. film but 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 in a fun romp nonetheless yes okay so sort of well worth checking the two sequel prequels they're only 90 minutes each so it's not yeah. like it's a big chunk of your life missing if you did watch them you know what i mean so <laughs> and i mean the second one's got um uh, let me make sure I'm remembering this right. The second one's got Sean Bean in it. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you know, uh, for me, Bean's another one of those that's that's always good value for money, regardless of what people might think. You know what I mean? So, Sean yeah. Bean's in, in the first one and Dugray Scott is in the in the third one. So, um, oh, okay. <laughs> so, 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 you know, it's not Luke Goss on his own. He's got some... Uh, He's got some acting chops next to him. And uh, and indeed, you know, as you'd expect with these, there are some very, very attractive young ladies in these films as well. So, they are indeed. So, you, you know, it very much is a guy film. It's an eye candy for the boys, fast cars, hot women, loads of action. But, you know, tons of fun. So why not? Brilliant. <laughs> it's all non-offensive, I think, to be fair. <laughs> Cool. Right. I'm going to t- talk about my Yay! Uh, movie heaven. Okay. And uh, to a lot of people, this is considered to be the best film he's ever made. And my choice is Event Horizon. Yeah, love that film. Love yes. that film. I haven't seen it for a while, to be fair. I saw it when it first came out. And I saw it when they, it was re- first released on dvd which again they did a super special edition with all sorts of extras but um but i I always thought it was a fine film yes now for me i saw it the cinema yeah i always have a memory of going to see it because it scared the shit out of me i remember 
coming home and like you know when you want it, you keep the lights on it was just like that <laughs> i mean it was very effective horror film very effective and but the other thing that happened that night was um princess diana died good lord was it then was it was it, it was then yeah. wow okay because i saw it at the cinema as well but um i didn't connect the two events at all so well that's that was because um it was the end of the summer and um me and my friends we were going to the cinema a lot that year and we went to see event horizon and i remember on the journey back home because i used to drive a lot i used to drive my friends around we on the radio it was announced that she had been in a car crash and that she had been taken to hospital right she was still alive when i went to bed but in the morning um she had died right yeah i mean i was living in america when this happened then i must have seen event horizon in the states in that case because i remember that i was actually um i was actually out at a nightclub uh, um in america when uh diana died and there was a they actually stopped the music and made the announcement okay oh wow and of course everybody because i was the brit yeah everybody was coming up to me saying keith are you okay you know as if as if i knew her personally you know what i mean so uh yeah i'll never forget that but um uh well, you know you that you know americans they will think that you know the queen and you've had tea with her and it's it's never the case. <laughs> I've never had tea with the Queen. No, indeed, I've ne- I've never had tea with the qu- Queen and played with the corgis. Never. So yes, mm. exactly. But um, um, now I'm a big fan of Alien. Yes, me too. Yep. Yeah, Alien is like up there for me. It's one of the, one of the best sci-fi horror films. But uh, Event Horizon. I agree is with like you a, absolutely. Is a close second. Absolute close second. The history of this story is that um, he was originally going to shoot Soldier after Mortal Kombat. And what happened was that they had to wait for um, old uh, Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he was working on something else or... No, he, he had an injury as well. Ah. Oh, no, actually, no, I tell a lie. No, no, he... he um... Sorry, I've got that wrong. He had an injury once the production started. No, he oh. he was working on um, uh, breakdown. Jonathan Mostow's breakdown, oh, yeah, where yeah, he yeah. he was playing an ordinary guy in that. So uh, he realised in order to be soldier, he would have to be in absolutely pristine shape. So he actually asked um, Paul Anderson whether he could have. Uh, 18 months to get in shape for Soldier, and that's why Paul Anderson then went and made Event Horizon in that uh, time. Sorry, yeah. No, that's that's fine. I I wasn't I didn't know quite what the story was. I I I read that he had taken, uh, you know, they Kurt Russell wasn't available for a certain amount of time, so instead of waiting around, they decided to make Event Horizon which good for them yeah (laughs) a great choice to do i mean it's a bit like um oh robert zemeckis when he was making castaway in the middle section where uh tom hanks was on his diet of fish and growing his hair he then went out to um he made that uh, thriller with harrison ford and uh, michelle pfeiffer made what lies beneath yeah in between yeah 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 
Oh, cool. Wouldn't it be great to be able to do that? That sounds awesome. But yes. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I mean, Event Horizon, um, uh, you know, I, in fact, I need to see it again. And I did want to try and get it in before we had this uh, this podcast. But uh, um, sadly, you know, you know, I just ha- haven't had the time to sort of revisit that one. Um, but uh, I think it's 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 fair to mention it. I mean, obviously, you know, if you look at all of his work, uh, he is also very influenced by Alien and the Alien franchise um, across his work. But I, I think that, that some credit and some note actually needs to go to, I, I mentioned him briefly earlier, um, Jeremy Bolt, who is um, uh, Paul Anderson's producing partner. And I believe they, they actually met whilst at, at film school together, whilst at university together. Um I often feel like that, that you know, uh, when we're talking sort of independent directors early in their career, um, behind every every one of them is, is a really good producer. I mean, if you look at, I always think of uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, and you know James yeah. Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd, you know, and that sort of thing. And I think that um, Jeremy Bolt does deserve quite a bit of credit because I am sure that you know poor Paul Anderson wouldn't be where he is today with, without Jeremy and um you know as an independent filmmaker and you know this yourself you know yeah. it's it's hard enough getting these films made you know and and the, the the thing is if you've got a producer that that that's a producer that that likes producing and knows what they're doing and you know goes out there and actually you know, when I produce stuff, essentially what I'm doing is being a, a production manager, you know, a line producer, and I'm getting the nuts and bolts of the production together. But, you know, a real producer goes out there and gets the finance at the front end and goes and sells the film at, at, at the back end and does all of that. And, and you know, th- there's, there's, there's not much to find out about uh, Jeremy Bolt online or anything. He's obviously keeps quite private. But, um he does get involved in the commentaries as well. And even though, you know, clearly Anderson is the one, the creative one that does all the talking and, you know, all of that sort of thing. Um, uh, you know, Jeremy Bolt, I think deserves credit for pulling a lot of this stuff off and making it happen. So I, I think it's worth mentioning that here at this point. Indeed. Cause um, the making of event horizon, you Jeremy Bolt is, is very much a part of that um you know he's there on screen and he's talking about the making of it so you could tell he was there every day making sure that everything was working and that whatever uh Paul Anderson needed you know he he had there i mean it was quite i mean it's a very impressive set because they built the sets um i mean the cgi in it has not aged very well i mean we're talking early cgi right so they they used it for you know that wonderful opening shot where you're when you first see the event horizon and you you move inside and it's everything's floating and the camera's kind of moving as well and then you sort of see things floating like um i think it's like a flask or something with liquid in it and stuff like that and it just never it just looks a bit 
terrible. <laughs> it doesn't look great. <laughs> but uh, obviously they didn't want to do the old Kubrick trick with the pen on the glass. No, no, absolutely. The that that. Um, no, I mean, I mean, if I remember right, uh, I mean, design-wise, it was fabulous. It, it, the, the 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 ship looked like a cathedral almost, right? Is, ah, is right. that right? That's correct. It's Notre Dame. Notre Dame, um, absolutely. They they, yeah. they they took. Um, I think like. Uh, I don't know how they did it, but they they wrapped Notre Dame around the like the hull of the ship to make it look gothic. I mean, whoever designed that spaceship in the first place has some weird sense of you know design to start off with because the ship looks evil. It's not like it went to the other place and came back looking like that. It went like that, you know. Yeah. It was that Sam Neill's character is the designer the architect of the ship and he's like uh what were you thinking <laughs> you, you know it 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 looks well it it looks evil yeah I mean, it absolutely looks, and the uh, a great idea of actually making the ship the villain yeah no I, absolutely and i mean the 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 other really smart move about this film is um you know, there's no doubt about it. Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne are, you know, actors that are absolutely at the top of their game and, and were at that point, you know, um, when it was made. And, and uh, you, you know, what good casting to get them in, involved in the project. Well, that's it. Well, I mean, you mentioned Breakdown earlier. Well, Kathleen Quinlan. Oh, of course. Yeah. Is in that film. Absolutely. She played the wife that disappears. Uh, you've also got Jolie Richardson. Which was in a role I never would expect to, to, you know, to see her in. Yeah. You know, she's usually doing, um, I'm trying to think, um, kind of like romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, of course, you've got Jason Isaacs and uh, Sean Pertwee in there. Yeah, oh, having they're, horrible they're... deaths, if, if, if memory oh, serves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean Pertwee, not so much. I think he got off easy. Right. I mean, even though he was the one guy who, you know, just wanted to get off the ship. Yeah, uh, but yeah, um, Jason Jason Isaacs as DJ, uh, he has like the most horrific death, and the, there's supposed to be like a longer cut where that's even more graphic. Is that available? Do you know? I don't know. I mean, there's there's talk about it. I mean, because there was, I think, if I if I remember rightly, there was another cut. You know, they handed in like a longer cut especially all the hell stuff was a lot longer because um, I know Emily Booth and Emily Booth was actually one of the original crew that you see in the video diary, you know? Wow. Okay. <laughs> and she told me they filmed for that for a week, for a whole week. Wow. All that kind of stuff. So there's, there's a lot more footage. And of course the stuff, the flashes that um, Lawrence Fishburne sees of his crew you know you know the bit at the end when sam neil's go do you see yeah yeah do you see you know, <laughs> they shot tons of that stuff all right i need i need to revisit this because it, it has been a while i mean it's probably been i know when it came out on on dvd it was probably probably a decade ago you know when it came out or whatever and, and on yeah. dvd and and i i probably haven't watched it since so uh uh, yeah, you're making me want to revisit this. I mean, I know people who don't like it, though. I, I've, I've yes. spoken to lots yeah. of people that think it's um, 
a bad movie and and I never really saw that I thought well what were you expecting and you know people keep saying oh it's trying to be alien and it's trying to be this but I think well you know there might be a bit of influence in there but I, I certainly don't think it's trying to be that at all it's a completely different story you know it's a it's essentially a horror film in well okay aliens a horror film in space I suppose but this one's a haunted house in space isn't it um, yeah, but Alien is a haunted house in space as well. It is, but it's it but is, it's got a monster, yeah. whereas this yes, is more this of a supernatural kind of yes. thing, isn't it? So that's right. Yeah. So yeah, but I I don't know if you remember, but um, you know how Hollywood sometimes do, does this like counter programming, and I don't think they do it on purpose. But we I remember um, film ninety seven, uh, and talking about you know well we've been to to hell with event horizon and now we're going to go to heaven with contact <laughs> okay because you had contact at the same time so you yeah. you literally did have these two sci-fi interpretations you know hell and heaven kind of like et and the thing yeah yes yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i i think i, I would prefer hell over <laughs> heaven I, Contact's a good film, but it's it's not a film I'd stick on. Again, not one I've seen in a long time. Um, and it, funny enough, with, with Interstellar and everything last year, it was kind of making me think I, I wanted to go and, and revisit Contact. So um, maybe that's another, oh, my God, the list. You know, there's, there's a list of films that I, I haven't seen that, that that's never-ending, but there's also a list of films that... I've seen, but need to re revisit. So I mean, you know, I I I'd never leave the house if 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 <laughs> you know if if I did all of this <laughs> stuff, it would be it would be mad. But yeah, um, I would like to to revisit that possibly at some point as well. Hmm. Indeed, right? Indeed, indeed. Okay. okay, movie hell. What is your movie hell? Okay, well. <laughs> It's funny. I've I have actually recently uh, rewatched this. In fact, I watched the commentary to it only last night, and uh, I've got my reasons for thinking that this doesn't really work. Although, you know, it's in, in on reflection, it's actually not that bad. All right, and it and it is the film that we've already talked briefly about, Soldier. Okay, um, which he made in in nineteen ninety eight. Um, and uh, you're absolutely right. You know that they, they they made Event Horizon first because um, he was waiting for for sort of Kurt Russell to get in shape, which Kurt Russell certainly did. I mean, Kurt Russell was probably not far shy of fifty by the time he made this film, and is in absolutely unbelievable, remarkable shape. I mean, you know, we're talking. De Niro, Cape Fear type um, shape, yeah. So uh, y you know, um, the thing is that the, the film the film was written by David Webb Peoples, who who was famous for um, Twelve Monkeys, Unforgiven, and Blade, Blade Runner. Runner probably being the biggest. And this film is supposed to take place in the Blade Runner universe. In fact, there are Indeed. quite a few Easter eggs. Um, I was going to say subtle in Easter eggs. Maybe they're not no, so subtle, no, but they're no, they're not subtle. I mean, you have Sean Pertwee going. Was it some little kid goes, "What's Ten Houser Gate?" And Sean Pertwee goes, "Oh, that was a battle." Yes. And then I was half expecting to say, 
I've seen things you people wouldn't yeah, believe. Yeah. You know, attack ships on fire. I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I read that about Soldier, that it's in the same universe as Blade Runner. And I call bullshit on it. Well, you know, I mean, if it, if, if it was in the same universe, I mean, obviously this is, this is set a, um, you, you know, a couple of decades after the events of, of Blade Runner. But I mean, you, you, you know, whether or not the screenwriter intended that or not, um, you, you know, to try and put them in the, the same feeling. universe is, 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 is laughable, really. <laughs> I, I get the feeling. I get the feeling that um, it's something that Paul Anderson did. I think it's something that he added. Uh, and it, it just because it just sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I mean, he loves his homages. And, 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 and in the commentary, what, what I found interesting is I don't know whether the commentary was recorded before the film was released. Okay. Because what's interesting is, is it's as usual, it's Anderson and Bolt and they are joined sort of partway through by Jason Isaacs. Uh, so it's a bit of a, a mate's commentary. And, um, but I don't know if they're deluded. I don't know whether they, 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 they knew, you know, that what a flop the film was going to be or whatever. But I mean, they, they cite things like, they reference Star Wars. They reference, um, you, you, you know, uh, Ridley Scott. They they reference all these sort of things. Yeah, it's like, well, hmm, okay, you're, you're not quite there, are you? <laughs> you know. And uh, the the thing with it is, uh, and I've got a theory as, as as to why this this film or why for me it didn't work really. Um, you know, again, it's not a badly made film. Um, you know, Kurt Russell, gotta love him. There's nothing wrong with Kurt Russell. He's in fantastic shape. Uh, it is a film, to be fair, that was plagued with production problems. Okay, um, just to put those in context, what happened is on the first week of principal photography, Kurt Russell, even though he's in this fantastic shape, unfortunately had an accident and broke his ankle. OK, um, a silly accident, apparently, but he broke his ankle. And what that meant was that they had to schedule the film so that they did all of the stuff where he was lying down first, then all of the stuff where he was sitting, then all of the stuff where he was standing but not moving, then all of the <laughs> stuff where he was walking but not running, and then all of the stuff where he was running and fighting. Well, I mean, the film is a big you know, sci-fi action movie and, and to try and, I mean, that must've been an absolute production nightmare, you know, for one thing. And the, the fact that the continuity in the film works as well as it does is actually a miracle when you think it was done that way. The other, does, the yeah. other thing was um, the film is very much sort of a Western in space. Yeah. And um, the idea was they wanted this whole sort of sepia tone, desert look and, and they were going to film this in california in the desert but apparently the year they did this was the year that el nino um struck so uh you, you know for the first time in in something like a hundred years or something there were terrific rainstorms and whatever ah, going on in california right. so what they had to do as a last minute thing was uh make it a studio bound picture all right yeah. and again Looks wise, you know, um, very little CGI. There, there's a lot of model shots and things. And, and 
you, you, you know, that all works. It actually has quite a good look. The production design solid. In fact, it is the same designer as, as worked on um, uh, Blade Runner, from, from my understanding, again, uh, even though it's a very different look to Blade Runner, clearly. Um, but, uh, you, you, you know, so, so I'm, even, even though I'm saying it doesn't work, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the good points of it. The reasons I think it doesn't work is simply because of this, okay? The, the film is essentially Shane, the, the, the Western Shane, but in space, right? Whereas in the mid-50s, okay, that might have been sort of considered, you know, okay or whatever. But 45 years later, it's somewhat cliched and predictable for one thing, yeah? So, I mean, it's, it's not exactly, you, you know, it, it, it's a bit of a light watch. The other thing was apparently this script had been knocking around for nearly 15 to 20 years before Anderson got hold of it and made it. And it was attached to Stallone at one point, um, Clint Eastwood at one point. And I think that's the problem with it. I think the film is about 15 years too late. Uh. I think if it had been made in the, the era that we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, if it had been made in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, whatever, um, no one would have really had a problem with it. It would have been a action, you know, testosterone action flip with Kurt Russell, you know, sci-fi guns, space, all good and whatever. But I think we, we were talking the late 90s with this. I think by that point, audiences had moved on a little bit from that and you know obviously the generation that we're talking about you know that we're in if you like that, that grew up with that sort of sort of 80s schlock or whatever you know by this point was maybe looking for something a bit more challenging I mean I don't know what the other films were were out that year I haven't I haven't done that much research but you know Soldier was just near. Nah. It, it wasn't awful, but it wasn't anything amazing either. It was just okay. And obviously it cost a shitload of money to make, and it didn't make it back at the box office. It was a, a massive flop, you know? Yeah. So. Well, for me, the, what I don't like about uh, Soldier is it, it has a very good beginning. Yes. I love the beginning. It's very reminiscent in some ways of watching uh, Ender's Game. I don't know if you've seen Ender's Game. I but... haven't, I must admit. No, I haven't. Okay, no. but there's... Um, I think Ender's Game was probably an influence on it. Yes, it's been an influence on a lot of things. And... Um, but so when you see him, as you know, from the kids being dehumanised and growing up and seeing Jacek Isaacs not change one bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But no, 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 no I'm only joshing on that. I Oh, he, but, gets um, he gets a mustache. He gets a mustache. When you get older, kids, you too will have a mustache. Yes. But, um, you know, you see all that and you see uh, them grow up and become the soldiers. And then you see their replacements. Yeah. And you see, see them duking out and it's just great. And, you know, you see the, the new overtaking the, the old and then being dumped on this planet and stuff. Great get on the planet and he's getting to know the locals boring 
Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a Absolute little bit cheesy. Boring. It's it's a little yeah. bit. I mean, you you know, it is the whole. It's the super soldier program. I mean, there's nothing new about that. It's been done and it continues to be done. Um, and so yes, the setup's quite good. And you know, he becomes an obsolete model and and effectively dumped on this um, garbage planet where he finds there's a colony you know, with where a ship crashed and all this. And then of course he has a bond with the with the wife and a bond with the little boy and and it's all yeah, a bit and, and he saves the and, guy. And, and Sean Pertwee is uh, you know, killed off. Yeah. We got Sean and we got Jason, you know, we got the usual suspects. But the thing is But I'm I'm just saying I'm just saying though, um it, it just felt really sort of forced that, you know, you know, he's having this sort of getting to know um, the wife, uh, who I can't believe I can't remember her name. Oh, it's um, yeah. Um, oh God, she's lovely. Um, uh, Connie Nelson. Connie Nelson. Yes, yes. Thank you, IMDb. Oh, well done. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I don't know if there's any kind of physical attraction there or not, but it, it's kind of making out there is. And then of course Sean Pertwee's character is just conveniently killed off, so he can step in as the father figure, you know. And everybody's like the whole planet; they're a bunch of pacifists. But he's he's violent, and you know the only way to deal with violence is with violence. Yes, let's banish him, Ugh, you know, and all this. <laughs> it's just you know I I've I have seen this story done many times, and I've seen it done better. And I am. Uh, Kurt Russell, big fan, you know, Snake Plissken. Yeah, well, there's Fuck references if, to that if, in the film. If, you know that. If, if only, you know, instead of being this sort of blank slate, he, you know, it was Snake Plissken that ended up on the planet. Yeah, no, that would oh, be awesome. I love that film. In fact, um, again, Wes Anderson being, you know, a massive... Uh, sorry, Wes Anderson. Wes Paul, Anderson. Paul Anderson, sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, another Anderson. There you go. We found another one that we could talk about. Another <laughs> different one. But no, um, but, you know, being a massive fan of... Um, uh, you know the genre. I mean that there are loads of references. There's a there's a there's a Pliskin. He, he won a Pliskin Medal of Honor and all this sort of uh, crap. And and I mean you know the, the film's well made. There's nothing wrong with the story because I mean you know Shane, uh, you know is a classic. Let's be honest. You know it's all good. The trouble is with it is it, is it just seemed it seemed tired it seemed behind its time it wasn't ahead of its time it was behind its time and and it was just you know okay but not not great so that's why i chose it as the one that didn't work in in my opinion um but you know as i think i've pointed out here i can see some good in it as well and there were very good people involved in it um i just think that the overall product didn't work and and obviously the uh the, the the financial success of that and the critical acclaim of that as well um, uh, seems to agree with me. <laughs> so, you know. Okay, well, moving on to my movie, Hell. How can you ruin two franchises with one film? Okay. Well, Paul W.S. Anderson certainly did it with Alien vs. Predator. You motherfucker. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> you, you do feel strongly, okay. <laughs> bastard. Alien vs. Predator is a film that's been in gestation for a long time. Um, there was a Dark Horse comic book where they put the two characters together. Great comic book. Um, and then Predator 2 came along 
and you saw the alien skull in the spaceship and you thought oh they're gonna do it they're gonna do an alien versus predator yeah fanboy easter egg absolutely <laughs> yes an easter egg that they put in twice yeah <laughs> and you know we were everybody was looking forward to this film and uh, again there had been a load of other directors connected and lots of different drafts and you know and and then Paul W.S. Anderson gets the gig and you, there was a lot of publicity I don't know if you remember the publicity but this is like the early days of using internet publicity so he would you know there'd be like little featurettes that he would put up on the Fox website well Fox would put up where he would be talking about the film and things he had and you know it was like okay it sounds interesting but I might might like this and then we saw the film now first mistake uh and one of the main reasons why I hate it is it puts it on earth and present day earth as well wasn't it present day earth yeah 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 okay. yeah, yeah so the the events that happened in alien are makes it really confusing because alien is the first time humans encounter the alien that's how it should be um and that's why it's it just doesn't make sense aliens have been on earth then you know obviously how could you keep a secret that big you know uh, because the you know the company wanted to get one of these creatures so yeah they can't i mean and i mean going into alien yeah they probably did know about um you know these creatures beforehand but i don't think they would know about what miss yutani way 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 back in you know the 2000s yeah um the other thing that pissed me off was um messing with the alien uh biology so now if you are you know if a face hugger attacks you it only takes an hour now for the alien to burst out an hour you know not not a day or how many days it took with Kane or anybody else an hour you know yeah no i'm 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 with you here um you, you know uh i mean christ we could do a whole podcast on on, on alien and predator alone but uh you know you know like you i am a um massive fan of well particularly the gold for me is obviously alien and aliens and you know for me predator and predator 2 a lot of people have an issue with predator 2 but i i actually don't i i like oh, i enjoy i enjoy predator 2 yeah. i mean it's as quotable as the first one i mean as as the first one you got got to dodge chopper <laughs> you've also got um uh, he's on safari the lions the tigers oh my yeah yeah um you know gary Busey makes predator 2 yeah but the thing is so you have these two great iconic characters and yeah so you're gonna have to throw some humans in there now the dark horse comic they did it where they were out in the colony so there was on a different planet and you know they have it's i, I think i remember it rightly that it was kind of like a the colony was a bit like a western town and they had these creatures that looked like cattle and that's what originally got um infected by the aliens right was the cow bit like alien 3 okay 
So in this, so this, um, can't, how does they, okay, they find a temple under the ice, uh, this company. Uh, uh, Wayland Industries. Wayland, yes. Wayland Industries, because they're not Wayland, Wayland Yutani yet. No. I mean, another thing they shoehorned into the sequel. I know, which was, where, which was yeah. cheese ball, wasn't it? But yeah. Oh, uh, fucking horrible. <laughs> and very much like Resident Evil 2. But um, let's not talk about that abomination. Ugh. You know, you never thought they could make a worse film than uh, Alien vs. Predator. Oh, boy, did they with Requiem. But we're not here to talk about Requiem. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we will be here all night. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, so they find this um, this temple under the ice and they put together this expedition and they've got um, mercenaries. Uh, they've got an... Um, archaeologist from south america who's a hunk you know who spouts off exposition left right and center and you've got what was the thing with finding the bottle cap in the um the dig at the beginning i never got that he found this oh, bottle I, cap. I can't remember the bit. again it's been a it's been a while since i mean you know the, the sort of alien and predator franchise I've got this sort of love-hate relationship with because the thing is, um, you, you, you know, because I love the, the the first couple of Alien films and you know the Predator films uh, as much as I do, I always want there to be an expanded universe of it, and I always want that. But the thing is, everything that's been done, whereas I've gone and 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 maybe enjoyed to 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 an extent. I've always had issues with, and I mean, that doesn't just include the, the A alien versus predator films, but that includes the, the latter alien films. It includes predators, which I I've got massive problems with. And, and it also includes, I'm, I'm sad to say Prometheus, you know, all of it is, is kind of uh, a bit of a mess in terms of a you know shared universe um in my opinion well i think what the the lovely things about the first two alien films are is that the first one there's a mystery because you know we you didn't know who that space jockey was no and having seen prometheus i kind of wish i still didn't know what the space jockey was you know what i mean <laughs> I have to say, I, I, I'm, I'm able to divorce that film from Alien. Right, okay. Really am, because, it, it, yeah, it's, it just doesn't make no sense. It, uh, you know, I, it's this weird thing where Prometheus should have been its own story. It shouldn't have no connection to the Alien universe at all. They should just be a completely different alien race. You know, still have David there as an android, still have... I'd had I would said another company than Wayland Utani. But just, you know, have that kind of DNA there, but just make it you know, just make it in a completely different universe because you're then comparing it to the you know, the, the alien aliens. Yeah. And it just makes no fucking well, sense. Well, I mean they they are there is a um a sequel to that planned as well as this new alien film that the uh 
the 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 guy that's behind you know um district nine Neil or whatever Blanca. yeah is, is going to yeah. be involved in so you, you you know i mean i i, I the trouble is i will the alien and predator films to be good because you know it's part of what i grew up on and i, and I love it you know and and all that but you know i i agree i mean whereas you know i i, I may not hate avp as as vehemently as as you clearly do but at the same time you know uh, they're they're disappointing and i and i always have issues with them and and i always have problems with the with the continuity back to that thing we were talking about with death race and and stuff earlier is is um you know to try and make sense and to try and draw up a timeline and have all these things sort of coexist just doesn't work that because the history is all messed up and inconsistent and like you said simple little things like you said the okay i know cameron added the the idea of the queen when 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 he he did his take on it but he didn't mess with anything that had already yeah, been established no. in fact no. he supported no. it whereas um, he built upon yeah it. He, he totally built upon the the, the mythology and this is the thing that I think Alien vs. Predator kind of takes a dump on all that. It's just like, ah, oh, it's too slow. We'll just speed it up. Now, I've heard stuff where, oh, well, you know, they're genetically engineered to be that quick so that the Predators don't hang around, you know. You know, they're standing there by their spaceships going, do-do-do-do-do, come on, aliens, let's come out and we want to hunt you, la-la-la-la-la, you know. Uh, it's just... Well, the other, the other fundamental issue I had with the whole thing as well was, was the fact that... Um, you know, in terms of, of movie monsters in my back, you know, in in my sort of memory and growing up and whatever, both Alien and Predator are movie monster villains. They're you know they're 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 the bad guys. Whereas in Alien versus Predator, they kind of have made it that well the aliens are the bad guys but the the predators are sort of on our side and i'm thinking well no they're not well, no 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 <laughs> no that, that's not correct because at the beginning um when they're setting it all up when they're going down to the tunnel because they get there and they discover that um i can't remember how that works out but they they, they got there, they remember. discovered that they, they discovered that there was this big sort of you know, because a predator ship came over and shot the laser, which made the tunnel down to the to the temple, because they were all prepared to sort of drill down there and stuff. And, you know, they had bought all this like drilling team, and they got there and they go, "Oh shit, we haven't got much to do." And of course, they're the guys that get killed off by the predators. Up, you know, I think which was the I think the only suspenseful scene in that entire film was those guys going around, you know, the small town that was built on top of it. And, um, you know, and they're being hunted by the predators. And that was, that was kind of actually, you know, it was, yeah, was I mean, bit, at its moment, tension there. at its moment. Yeah. It? But I mean, was, I'm, I'm thinking about it and I'm trying to sort of, you know, fit the pieces together. And I can't remember, you know, you're trying to think, well, how did, because it, it how did the predators know that the the guys were going to the temple because they hadn't got there because when they got there they found the big laser going into the i'm like i'm trying to think how it worked out i mean i haven't seen it for a while because you know obviously i'm not going to watch it <laughs> well i mean <laughs> I, I, I even i even had i even had design problems with the fact that when you see the um the, the the predator ship it's nothing like i mean the thing i really liked in predator 2 
was they made the ship completely alien. I mean, when Danny Glover goes in there, the famous scene where you see the alien skull and whatever, you know, it's it, it, it's it's completely organic and there's no buttons and all this. Whereas in Alien versus Predator, you know, suddenly it's like they're on the Enterprise or something. And you're thinking, what? This doesn't make any sense. So and then, of course, they introduced the Predalien and all this sort of thing. And it's yeah, like, but that, uh, that's 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 just a sting at the end to say, oh, we're doing a scene. Yeah. Which was also um, bad, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, you, you know. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Um, so it again uh, inconsistencies because it only takes an hour for uh, a human to sort of you know give birth to an alien. Alien in this film, but uh, a predator. Uh, he's you know he was running around and everything. Uh, you know, for longer than an hour. I mean, that, if anything, he got killed. By the alien queen, didn't they? Did he? I, I honestly, I'll be honest. It's I, been a while I, I since remember because so you don't know because really the, the I remember the end shot with the pred alien because he's lying there, you know, in front of the shot of Earth in the background, and it's his body. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm a total hypocrite because I I have these films on DVD. You know what I mean? Even though I don't think they're particularly good, because again, I got them because I wanted to hear all the extras and. And, and, you know, you listen to Paul Anderson and, and, and he actually believes that he has been faithful to the universe as a fanboy of it. But, you know, I, I agree with you in the fact that I think it's all very inconsistent and that's kind of what's yeah. annoying about it. So, yeah. Well, it's that kind of like, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it sounded like George Lucas was in his head going faster, more intense. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Because <laughs> you know, there's, you know, there's, Apart from that one scene I talked about, there's really not much suspense in it. I mean, it is literally, it's like a wrestling match, especially when the aliens and predators start, you know, going at each other. I think that's the other thing as well, is that obviously they had a limited budget. And so you only have like three predators and a handful of aliens. I don't know, was it six aliens or something like that? Right, yeah. I, I can't remember. There's, you know... But then there was this wonderful flashback, you know, uh, where they show um, back in the Incan days when the predators were gods and they would come down and they would sacrifice the, you know, the beautiful Incas to, to, you know, have face huggers on them and chest bursters. And that final shot where you see the predator at the top of the temple and, uh, you know, with hordes of aliens coming at them yeah i mean i was well excited and, about and, and, all and, that and, stuff before it and, came and out and then he you know you know and he hits his wrist bomb and destroys them all and you think where's that film <laughs> i want to see that film yeah where is that film what uh, I, I didn't come to see a wrestling match because i mean the predators are like big and lumbering and smashing the alien around and i mean they still got their weapons i mean they still got the um you know the the knife claw they have on their arm, and they had the extendable spear. I mean, okay, they didn't have their laser guns because that seems to be once those are taken out, that's the thing that sets the uh, the traps going. Uh, you know, makes the that's the thing. The temple then becomes like the like cube. You know? Yeah, <laughs> everything absolutely. starts moving around, and it becomes traps and all this stuff and. Yeah, it did seem to be a bit lost as to what it was. I mean, I, I, I don't know, you, you know, the whole... I, I kind of feel I have mixed emotions about it because um, 
you know, it does it does some somewhat feel of franchise fatigue a little bit with all this stuff. But at the same time, you, you know, I, I like most most of the fanboys what would like more of it and want more of it. And the trouble is, it's that old thing: the more you dilute something, you know, that the the, the the I guess the less the integrity is is remains. I don't know, but uh, you, you know, Cameron did it beautifully. Um, he did it absolutely wonderfully in fact Um, and you know what Ridley did in the first place was incredible Um, but yeah everything since and and, you know John McTiernan also deserves equal credit for the uh, you know the first Predator movie is is an absolute classic you know and a lot of fun Um, but uh, did you hear can I yeah of course just interrupt you did you hear the story about um a predator because the uh the original creature was a more like i don't know it, it, it had a like a more bird yes yeah it's like a you on the deleted uh, on the extras you can see it's like a sort of red uh weird looking thing that i think van damme was attached to play at one point or something van damme was in the suit and he thought that was the actual alien he he hadn't seen like the proper maquette <laughs> so he's got i'm going around in this red suit <laughs> yeah that looks like, kind of okay. goofy yeah <laughs> yes it looked very goofy well apparently it was cameron's idea to have the that's it that was yeah what I was sorry say. The, there was a there was a break and um stan winston's on a flight with james cameron and he's saying well we've got this problem with this creature and you know and james cameron said well i'd love to see a cat with a, an alien with mandibles and you know that's what gave birth to the um, to the the predator design we all know. Yeah, about. and then in the second film, having them fight guys with dreadlocks, which I thought was a brilliant idea. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? That 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 was a great <laughs> bit of imagery. But uh, but yeah, I mean the the late Stan Winston, what a loss! I mean that man yes. um, brought uh, so much to cinema of 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 you know my uh, my inspiration definitely. So yeah. Now. Uh, I, I, I want to just wrap up on uh, talking about Alien versus Predator, but the, there's 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 one actor who's, I think he has been kind of a big supporter of the of the films because he's appeared in four of these films, uh, three of these films, Lance Henriksen. Yes. Now, I know he likes Bishop, but why does he keep feeling the need to come back and and play a, a different version? Because, okay. Alien Free, I kind of understand that, you know, he played the damaged Bishop. And then the mystery, is it Bishop Mark II or is it the original it is Bishop? Bishop Mark II. Or, yeah. it, it is, no, no, it's, 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 it's Bishop Mark II. And then coming back and playing Wayland in AVP. Which was one of the touches that I thought was okay, actually. It was, yeah, but I mean, it's just, I mean, I, 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 I don't know, I just... It's it's kind of like you know, I, yeah. It was kind of good to see him there, but he just didn't do anything. He was just like, I'm an old man, and I'm you know, I'm giving you money to go and do this, and but I'm going to come along. But hey, I'm a massive. Um, so does that mean you know, he's the dad of the Guy Pierce character in Prometheus? No, God, <laughs> no, <it> can't be. <laughs> I mean, Prometheus is you know only set a few years before Alien. Or, is it? I don't know. That, yeah, it's, that it's more near. It's more. It? It's more nearer Alien than it is our, our time. It's a mess, isn't it? The whole thing. Yeah, I was just going to say AVP is two thousand four, and 
I gathered that was the time they were going for was 2004. So, like you said, it shouldn't have been on Earth. I totally agree no, with that. It shouldn't no. have been on Earth. You know, Alien Three should have been on Earth. Well, that's a whole other podcast, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> yes, get started yeah, about yeah. Alien Three, but well, maybe we should do an Alien A for Alien and <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But I think um, before we go, I just want to know. Do you think that the Vincent Ward version of Alien 3 would have worked? Is this the wooden planet one? This the wooden planet with the monks. Yeah. Do you think it would have worked? Possibly. I mean, it's it's hard to tell, isn't it? Now, I mean, you know, I've watched the um, the the what they're classing as the Fincher work print version as well of the film or whatever it is, but. Oh, it's no, not I know the Fincher. The, no, 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 he, the, yeah. David Fincher had nothing to do with yeah. it. It's just a work print. I don't, I don't know. Again, it's, it's again, I have, print. you know, from a continuity point of view, I always had problems with with Alien Three because it didn't really, you know, the fact that a life pod changed between <laughs> between a during a hypersleep alone bothered me. So you know, you know, it's just kind of. Um, but I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. Do you think that monks in space would have worked? I don't know. Maybe it would have been different. It would have been different, but I just feel it's just way too out there. I, I just the whole idea of a wooden planet. Well, that's kind of bizarre to try and get the head around. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I don't know. It just, I, well, maybe it might have worked. I mean, space is, you know, there's nothing there. It's a vacuum. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean. Um, you know, to, to to sort of, from my point of view, to summarise on on Paul W S Anderson, yeah, is 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 I I think the thing about him is, you know, as I said, you know, I I believe he's a he's a very very competent filmmaker. He knows his stuff. He's living the life. So you know, good on him. But are his films amazing, groundbreaking films? Not really. They're just okay aren't they and i think that's the problem is you know if anybody's got a problem with him that that's that's really it that his stuff is just genre popcorn that's okay but not anything that's 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 outstanding but he's doing it so you know as i said um my hat's off to him so that was that was movie heaven movie hell with uh for Paul W.S. Anderson. I think why he changed his name is because Paul Thomas Anderson came along and people kept asking Paul Anderson if he was the guy who made Boogie Nights. So he changed it to W.S. to change it. And then suddenly Wes Anderson came along and they kept asking him, is he the guy who works with uh, Bill Murray? (laughs) If Paul W.S. Anderson had been smart, he should have just said yes. (laughs) 